Our guest today is Beth Barrett. Beth is president of the Board of Education of the Princeton Public Schools, where she has recently begun her second three-year term. Professionally, Beth is a corporate attorney with global experience advising Fortune 500 companies on financings, joint ventures, acquisitions, governance, and regulatory matters. After 18 years of active legal practice, Beth led the Riverside School PTO, raised funds for the Princeton School Garden, advocated for the garden educators, and the integration of garden education into district-wide curriculum, worked with district leadership as a member of the PTO Council, and taught religious education at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Princeton. She has also served on the boards of the Stony Brook Millstone Watershed Association, the New Jersey League of Conservation Voters Education Fund, the Princeton School Garden Cooperative, and the UUCP. Beth is a public school graduate and together with her husband, Robert Eaton, has three children who have attended Riverside Elementary, Princeton Unified Middle School, the Pennington School, and the Princeton High School. Hi, Beth. Welcome to our podcast series, Woman to Woman. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Just to get us started, if you can just tell us something that nobody else knows about. Hmm. Not many people. I wouldn't say nobody, but not many um, people. I think, I think most people don't know that I was a music major in college and I, I was a saxophone major. Yeah, I started college. I had a music scholarship and uh, they gave me a scholarship and paid my tuition. So I played the saxophone at UW Wisconsin, Madison. Um, I was in the jazz ensemble and the, the uh, I was a performance major. Okay. So, so next time we have to hear you play saxophone. Oh, I haven't played in so long. I'm really very out of shape, but I, I did uh, major in the saxophone and spent a lot of time playing that as I didn't graduate with it, but I, I started and uh, went most of the way through. So clearly that's not what you do today. So no. there, there was some pivot point where things changed a little bit. So if you can just talk to us a little bit about what you initially had planned, how did those plans change for you? Sure. So when I was, uh, uh, was from the time I was about 10 years old, when I was young, I, I was seven, I, I broke my arm very badly and was in the hospital in traction for a month. So at seven years old, I lived in the hospital. And from that time on, I wanted to be a doctor because I came from a very small town. And the only person I knew who was really a professional who did something, you know, um, I, that, I, that I really thought I could be when I grew up was our family physician. And so I thought, well, I'm going to be a doctor in the hospital. And so I was so focused on that, that um, when I went to college, I majored in saxophone, but I also was a, a pre-med uh, medical scholar. I was accepted to medical school out of high school and I was ready to go three years and go to medical school. And so, yeah, I was just, you know, full on. And then I got to college and I realized that, um, college, there were so many things I wanted to study and I wanted to do. And I actually really enjoy political science and history and writing and language. And I was on this pre-med track and I had to take, you know, all the sciences, which is fine. Um, but at some point I would have had to take physics and I thought <laughs> I was working so hard and getting, you know, getting grades that were okay. But I thought, why am I doing this to myself? And I also wanted to study abroad and do all these other things. And so I thought, well, I guess if I have to take physics, I don't think I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> so I, I shifted and kind of went to a more um, undefined place and ended up going to law school because that's what I was, you know, good at doing. So um, that's where I ended up. That's quite a detour from med yeah. to law. I, 
were there people along the way that really helped you shape who you are today? Um, well, I would say, you know, one of the most formative people in my life was my mother, uh, who was just always very, very supportive of everything that I did. Um, and she also showed me that you can, um, you can be a professional woman. You can have your own business. She ran her own insurance agency. I grew up in a very small town, but we had an office on the front of our house. And so she would work all day in the office and at five o'clock, close the door, take the mail and come in and make dinner. And six o'clock we had dinner. And then she would go off at seven to whatever organization she happened to be running that evening. And she um, was the, she founded the local theater in our town and ran it for 50 years and helped them build a theater across the street from our house. And um, a volunteer theater organization. She was the treasurer for the church. She ran the uh, uh, AFS or the student exchange club for the town. She was very involved with that. She um, was on the boards of the local hospitals. She did all these things. And she, so in our family, every night at seven o'clock was kind of, you know, volunteer time and, and meeting time. And, and, you know, so I saw her uh, as someone who could do all these things and she was very supportive of me. And so I always kind of, um, I feel like she was a role model for me. So my mom was really, and then, you know, I wanted to be a doctor. She said, great, go be a doctor. You don't want to be a doctor? Fine. Be something else, you know, just make sure you can be independent and support yourself. Um, so she was always very supportive. And just hearing how many things she was able to do is, it's just outstanding. So many things and juggling so many responsibilities. Yeah. Any other role models um, that you look up to? Um, well, I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, my whole life, my mother would always say to me, you know, I remember when I was about six or seven, I really, I loved basketball. I wanted to be a basketball player. <laughs> and she took me to the Milwaukee Doe's. There was a professional women's basketball team in Milwaukee. And I remember going to the game and she, you know, sought out those tickets and took me to the arena. And, and I remember her saying, you know, look, here are women and they're playing basketball and you can do this, you know? And, and then I had something, I wanted to be an artist at some point. I, I was the youngest of four. So I think she indulged me a lot. So I was like, I want to paint, I want to do this. And then she took me to the local, a local guy, Charles Dix, who was an artist and who displayed at all the local art, you know, uh, shows and things. And she said, this is my daughter. She'd like to be an artist. And so I talked to him and he gave me some paints and he did these things. And so, um, all along the way, I've had people that I've looked up to. You kind of think of something you're interested in, look who's doing it. So, you know, I remember when I was a young woman in my early 20s or maybe late teens, I, I saw Madeleine Albright and I thought, you know, I really think that's amazing. The first female secretary of state, that would be something to do, right? So I remember telling, and I remember telling someone I was studying in Germany at the time abroad, and in Germany, it's obviously a very, I would say a bit more traditional culture than we have here, even more kind of chauvinistic uh, than where I was raised. And I remember the, the men in the dorm who we were having coffee or something and just laughing hysterically at me saying how on earth, what a, what a funny idea that a woman would ever be, you know, or I think it was Madeleine Albert maybe wasn't quite secretary of state at that point, but I just remember being laughed at, like that was such an absurd idea. And, um, you know, thinking, well, that's really, I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> I, I realize I'm glad I don't live in Germany. I can go home to the US and, and do what I want to do. But um, so I've, I've had different people I've looked up to. I mean, RGB, you know, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, what a wonderful role model. You know, there's, there's so many women I, I see who have done really important things for the world. And 
I, I tend to just, I'd like to read about them and, you know, hear how they did what they did. So when you told me you're doing this podcast, I thought, well, that's really great because I want to see what everyone else has to say. Any naysayers that really stand out for you? Anybody that really did not believe in you and what did you do to overcome that? You know, I think I would say more generally, I was a real tomboy when I was young. I wanted to be a boy till I was about 12 because where I was raised, um, I had three older brothers and they got to do everything and, and they got to paint houses. My, my family built houses and, and did real estate and stuff in my and, and it was in their blood. And we still might do this to this day. My brothers manage a bunch of different properties and I'm involved with them, but they always got to do the fun stuff. So they got to paint and they got to build and they got to use the saws. And my dad would take them fishing and they would do all these things. And because I was a girl, I was told, no, no, you're going to stay home. Grandma's going to teach you how to sew. Grandma's going to teach you how to iron. I learned how to iron the handkerchiefs with the, with the um, embroidered, you know, initials right on top. I learned how to clean with three rags from my grandmother, you know, all these things. Here's some dolls. You can play with these. And I hated that stuff. I wanted to go and like play with GI Joe. I begged for a GI Joe doll, you know, and they gave me Barbie and I didn't want that because I saw in my world, I mean, my mother was very independent, but many of the other women in my family or my, you know, uh, my culture where I'm from, German, you know, traditional culture, you know, you stay at home and you take care of the house and you do your washing on Monday and you're, you hang it out on Tuesday and ironing on Tuesday and baking on Wednesday or whatever. There's a day for everything. And I was like, I, I'm not interested. <laughs> I want to be a boy. So I will say that I come from a place in the Midwest where, and it's still, there's very, you know, strict roles and I never really fit well with that. Um, so that was the naysaying for me that I was like, I have no interest in that. You know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So what were some of the values that you still hold very dear? Like that really make you who you are? You know, I would say my first is kindness that I think, you know, it's all about being kind and all the time being kind, how can you be kind and, and not judge? And how can you be empathetic for what, how other people are experiencing the world? And then, you know, so taking responsibility is, is a big, a big thing. And, and I would say taking responsibility for my own life and what happens to me, because nobody knows what's in my head or what I'm thinking. And it's up to me to try to find my way in the world. And if, I am interested in something. Nobody knows that but me. And they're not going to offer it to me. I go and do it myself, you know. So, so making sure that I am charting the path of my own life. And then responsibility for my community, because I really believe that we can't just expect everyone else to have a lovely place for us to live and, you know, our democracy, our schools, all the things, you know, you have to step in and do it if you want it to be uh, a good thing. So you want to go to a religious community, you need to help run it. You want to have a, you know, my mother, you want to have a volunteer theater association, you have to figure out how to make it happen, you know. So uh, responsibility for my community and then responsibility for my mistakes. So we all do things where we mess up. And so I'm really big about just saying, okay, immediately let people know it's a mistake, apologize, and then figure out how to move on. So what what's the solution and let's keep going. So I think, you know, those are two things I think are really important. So kindness and responsibility. And I know you have been very involved with the community here. I myself, I've seen it firsthand. And you just mentioned, you know, community means a lot to you. Hmm. So were there instances where um, you kind of had your faith shaken a little because you were doing what you needed to do, but there were others who weren't ready. So what were some of the things that helped you kind of overcome those obstacles? 
Well, you know, I think I lived a long time in New York when I was younger, and that was hard because I feel like I had to put my time in at a big law firm. I worked, you know, very long hours and it was hard and I I didn't have a community. And I remember thinking, you know, I had my friends and I had a a really lot of fun. It was my, you know, my twenties, but also I always kind of thinking, well, I don't really, I'm not, I don't know anyone here. I don't belong to anything. I came from a small town where we had a, a, a church community literally next door, um, everyone knew each other on the main street. I literally lived on Capitol Drive in Heartland, Wisconsin. So it was like this tiny town of about 5,000 people. And um, you knew everyone at school, you knew everyone at church, you knew everyone in town. We had parades and you'd watch everyone go by and the Girl Scouts and the, the Legion men and the, you know, the people um, you know, who were in the Shriners. And you know, there was just all these different organizations and everybody belonged to things and belong to multiple things, women's clubs and it's overlapping kind of networks of, of things. And so I guess when I left New York and I came to Princeton and I still was working very hard and I had my little babies while I was working, I still didn't really, I didn't know anybody other than the people at preschool, some of the parents. And um, I was fortunate enough at some point to be able to, um, you know, stop working on Wednesdays. So I had a little bit more time, but I still had three little babies. Um, and then uh, about 10 years ago, my company was sold. And so I had some more time and I found that Suddenly I was able to find a faith community where we met a whole bunch of people. I was able to get more involved in the schools. I was able to volunteer on a couple of different boards and I was able to find a place. And I guess, you know, I would say to people who are wondering where their path is going in life, don't worry if you can't do it all at once, you know, um, it's okay to have a time in your life where you're really working on your career, where you're really working to learn what you need for your next stage in life. And, you know, there's going to be different times. And um, I do think like, I think maybe you maybe had a similar experience, but I was told I could do anything I wanted when I was young. And what they didn't tell us was you can't do it all at the same time. Right. And nobody really mentioned that to me. And I thought somehow it all should happen at once. And it doesn't, it happens in stages when you're ready. So um, I think it's important to know that, yeah, community is important. And I look like I'm doing so much now, but I haven't always been like that. There's been times when all I was doing was working, you know, all I was doing is studying. And, you know, that's okay. So from law to school board, that's like, it's, it's close enough, but it's still very different. So what were some of the things that led you to where you are today? Well, I was doing a lot of volunteering, as I mentioned, you know, in the schools, I worked on the school gardens, which was a wonderful thing for me. I got involved when my kids were little and it was such a, you know, you want to surround, you know, surround yourself by people you admire, right? Who, who can you spend time with that you want to be like? And so Dorothy Mullen, who was running the garden program, I met her and I thought, this is a really special person. I need to spend time with this person. And I ended up, you know, spending 10, 13 years. I don't know how long we were together. You know, uh, we did fundraising for her and she taught me everything about food and gardens. And um, so I I was very involved with the schools. And then I became part of the PTO and led the PTO. And then you go to the middle school and the high school and you start to know all the schools. And I was doing a lot of work on other boards. And when Trump was elected, I was very upset. Uh, And I went to the women's rally in Trenton. And I saw Bonnie Watson Coleman speak. And it was this, you know, the whole place was full and I had my daughter Anna with me and my friend Anne and we were all there and we saw her speak and she was so motivating and she said, don't lose hope. You know, we all need to do pitch in where you are in your own community. And I thought, you know, 
I'm going to do something. And so I, I looked around and I said, you know, I'm doing things in many different places. I want to consolidate it. And I see that there's a need at the school level because it's a very large organization. It's a hundred million dollar, you know, entity. It's got all this governance questions. It's got, you know, board questions. It's got finance stuff. And, and that's my background. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to do that because I think I can bring the skills to the school board that, you know, from my professional background and from my personal experience as a mother and a volunteer in the school. So for me, it all came together and it's, it's worked really well because it's one, one focus. I, I let some of the other things go and I focus on one thing and it's been very, you've done an amazing job. I I can attest to that. Oh, thank you. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's a group effort. It's always, there's 10 of us and it's always, it's never one person. It's, it's a group. It's a, collective thing so so if there is somebody who was looking to get more involved in like maybe a position like the school board what would your advice be like what would their startup strategy look like like to your point you did a lot of um, involved activities with the community what would you mm-hmm. recommend um, well, yeah, it depends. I mean, if you're interested in the school board, that's great. If you're interested in the school board, well, you know, I think it's important to understand and have some experience with the schools, right? That's really, if you have kids who've gone through, um, it's nothing better than that to know really how they work. But then again, you also, if you bring a particular professional background, that's often helpful. And like any board, it's nice to have a mix of people. And we do right now. We have some lawyers. We have people with educational background. We have people with business background, different, different skill sets. And then together, we actually can work. We all bring something and we make better decisions that way. If you're interested in public service like this, I think the best thing to do is talk to people, you know, it's like with a job. If you, you have an interest in something, you know, find people who do that and sit down with them and ask them questions. I think curiosity is the best, you know, first step because then people love to talk about what they do. And then you can hear what they do and think, ah, maybe that's my interest. Maybe it's not, or maybe I need to, uh, maybe I need to study up on something or go to some conferences or go to more meetings and watch, or maybe I need to be on a committee. You know, the town right now has many different committees that people can be on uh, if they want to go to meetings and start to understand how local government works. You know, you just start to get involved and do a little bit and then you see if you like it and you find where your, your heart and your passion take you. And you just keep going. But I think, you know, little steps are, are the way to start and, and talking to people and offering to help with things. Um, I think that's a good way to start. Talking to people helps. And I think that's one of our key aims with this podcast is make sure that we are able to bring all these conversations to the larger audience mm. so they can get to hear more and more people giving good advice and sharing their experiences so they can learn from them. So thank yeah. you for that. And we don't do as much um, as networking, but it is important. Have you found what networking has um, done for you? Has it played a big role in your life? And what would you advise our listeners about networking? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's super important. Um, and I, I, I try to tell my kids this. This is the thing about curiosity, right? Curiosity and, and being willing to talk to anybody who will talk to you. And when I went to college, um, my first summer, I wanted to just go home and be a lifeguard after my first summer of college. I wanted to just, just kick back. You know, I was 17, 18. And, and my brother said to me, no, no, you need to go to Washington. And I was like, oh, how can I do that? Well, he had worked in the political campaign of the man who became our senator from Wisconsin. And so he hooked me up and said, you're going to, you can go to Washington. I, I know somebody there. I'm going to call them. You're going to go work. I said, okay, great. So that was my first time away from Wisconsin, where I'm from. And it got me out into a city I'd never been to. I'd never been to the East Coast. 
And it was because my brother knew somebody who, who got me there. And then I ended up going to Washington and meeting all sorts of people who changed my life. And I had the crazy thing happen to me where I became the United States cherry blossom queen. That's another story. But because I was, oh in Washington, I was in Washington this summer and I met the people in Wisconsin who played baseball and they needed someone to be their, their person in this thing and whatever. And I ended up doing this and going to Japan and meeting the prime minister because my brother knew something, you know, got me this job in Washington. And, you know, um, and then he also knew someone when I went back to school, I worked for the governor because he knew him. To, my brother worked for different politicians and, you know, that was a connection. Right. And then then once you do these things, then you have a story to tell when you interview for law school and they say, what did you do? And I, well, I was the United States chair. Like, well, that's a really interesting. You know, maybe I got into law school because I had an interesting story to tell. And then I went to law school and I met a professor and I started chatting with him. And later he picked me to be his person to go to Washington and work in the trade reps office because I happened to actually walk in the first day of class and say, would it be okay if I miss class? Cause I'd like to be in the jazz band. I play saxophone. <laughs> and he laughed at me like, and looked at me like I had horns and, but he knew who I was after that <laughs> because I went and talked to him. And, you know, I was asking an absolutely ridiculous question for law school. I didn't realize at the time. I never played my saxophone again, but I did go to Washington and work for Carla Hills in the trade reps office, you know, because I happened to, he knew who I was after that. Cause I was, uh, cause I talked to him. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really important, you know, in school to talk to your professor, to talk to, you know, whomever you're working with, and then to keep track of those people and t check in with them periodically. And, and know uh, people care once they've met you, how you're doing. And, and, you know, you sometimes think, oh, they want to know who I am, but people enjoy networking and they not like to have, you know, relationships. So for me, I've had so many opportunities in my life because I've happened to randomly talk to somebody and ask them a question or have lunch with them or talk about something or appear interested and be interested. And people love it when you're interested in something and they'll, you know, um, I, I worked a summer in Washington in law school when everyone said, oh, you can't get a job your first year. And I said, okay, fine. I won't worry about it, but I, I will go to the library and I'm going to look up every, every lawyer in Washington, DC, who is a German, who was in German practice. And I, I spoke German. I'd studied there. I thought I'm going to write a letter to every one of those people and say, I'd like to come to Washington. And I speak German and I'm my first year of law school. And I got a job and I ended up going, I got paid a lot of money to sit in somebody's office and work on German legal matters. I didn't really know what I was doing, but it was fun and a really interesting experience because I wrote letters to these random people in a book. So yeah, it's really important to do, to do those things, you know, and, and to, and ha keep those relationships. So okay, now we want to hear the cherry blossom queen story. Oh no, <laughs> I should, shouldn't mention that's kind of a crazy one. So I was a summer intern in the Senate uh, in, in, in Washington and in Washington, every state has a society of people. They're the kind of people from who work for the senators and the Congress people, and they all kind of have social events together and go to baseball games and do these things. So, so as a young person in the Wisconsin Senate, you know, Senator's office, I met these people and went to Brewers games in Baltimore and did stuff. And um, one, you know, month in or so, somebody said to me, you know, Beth, we need to pick someone to be the princess from Wisconsin. Uh, for the cherry blossom festival, because every state and territory does this. And I laughed because I said, you know, I was a tomboy. I didn't wear makeup. I didn't have, I, I didn't have dresses. I was like, that's absolutely ridiculous. I would never do that. 
And they talk to me and they're like, come on, you're the right age. You're not married. You just have to come and go to these receptions and do a couple of things. It's not a big deal. You know, anyway, I, I did it. And it, I was the princess, which was just ridiculous. I had a sash and I wore dresses and I, um, my, my sister-in-law's like prom bridesmaid dresses and, you know, went to these receptions and it was really funny. And it's an old fashioned thing where it, they celebrate the cherry trees that were given to, you know, from Japan in 1920 or wherever. And they have Naval Academy uh, people come and these guys are your escorts, you know, on a, in a big ball and you have to wear white gloves and you have to wear like a wedding dress kind of thing. It was really, really over the top. And my mother was so excited. She was like, Oh my God, she's finally acting like, a, like finally, a, finally, you know, she's finally accepting that she's a young woman. And um, they put you in this ball. And then at the end of the week uh, and they have a big wheel, and they spin a wheel and there's sushi and a reception and the ambassador and there's hundreds of people in the Shoreham Hotel. And you have all these princesses and some states actually have a pageant. In Wisconsin, of course, they just pick me over over beers in the bar. And 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 I, I was like, I was one of the rebel princesses. I was like, this is so silly. We had a whole group of us who thought this was so silly, but we were, you know, doing it. And um, they spin a wheel. And it's Maury, Maury Povich and it's on television, you know, Connie Chung's husband. And it was like really big deal. And it was the 75th anniversary. And they have this crown that weighs like 20 pounds. They have in a vault they bring out for this thing. It was the 75th one. And I won, you know, you're on a risers with all these women and everybody's screaming and you go down there and then they put this big crown on your head and then they put the sash and they give you a, a big um, kimono. And then, <laughs> and then I danced with the ambassador who was like five feet tall and, <laughs> And then, For those who don't know, Beth is very tall. No, and then and then I had my own float down Constitution Avenue on the cherry blossom on the parade, and I had to wave with my gown and my crown. And um, and then I went to Japan for three weeks and I had a tour of the, I had to go to, back to college and tell my professors that I had to miss my exams because I was going to Japan because I was the cherry blossom queen. And of course, another I've I've had many of these com you know conversations with professors who look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> This is one of many. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't play in my final band concerts and all these things. And I went to Japan and I met, I, you know, I literally had motorcades from the time I got there and we traveled all around the country and flew back and forth. And I had an entourage and it's a real, you know, in Japan, it's a huge thing. It's like Miss America. They have a huge pageant. And I was in the best hotels and, you know, they, you always have a Mercedes and you have motorcade and they let the kids out of school and they have flags and they're waving at you and you plant I planted 12 trees and I led parades and I met the I met Crown Princess Michiko in the palace I had my own audience in the palace and walked in the gardens and you know I was the cherry blossom queen I met Prime Minister Nakasone and had a press conference with him and I had to say things I was 19 and you just you know make stuff up that's Talk such a great story yeah that's my big story of my life. It's one of the funniest stories of my life. No, but that, that's amazing. And, and I didn't know this. Knowing you all these years, I had no idea. I'll show you my crown sometime. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> okay, this was such a great story. Thanks for sharing that, Beth. Families and they would go home at night and they understood if I didn't work on the weekend. So, you know, where I was working in New York and, and you know, if I got home by 11 o'clock at night, that was early, you know, I, I just worked all the time and um, it, it didn't feel very good at the end, right? You just want to get out. So I made the choice because it felt like the right thing. It was a little frightening at the time. I, it was a little like jumping to something I didn't know, um, but it was fine. I trusted my, my instinct and my, I, you know, sometimes you have to ask your 
your, your loved ones around you to reflect back because you can't see it. If you're in the middle, it's hard to see. And so you say, well, what do you think I should do? What's your observation? And you have to sometimes trust those who you know have your best interest at heart to hear what they have to say. I found that to be very helpful at times. That's how I make big choices. I mean, and, and I've made a couple of those in, in my life and um, they worked out. So let's, let's go back to you. What are some of your sources of joy? What, what makes you happy? Oh, um, my family makes me happy. I feel incredibly, incredibly blessed to be a, suddenly find myself at this age of life and to have, you know, three healthy children and have a husband and have a family that's, you know, we're pretty, we get along with each other. We like to be together. And, and I'm grateful for that. That really brings me great joy. Uh, and showing them, showing my children new, new places in the world, um, traveling with them, you know, watching them experience life, watching them open up to new things, to get excited about things. That makes me very happy. Um, I also just love reading a good book uh, or, you know, cooking a meal and having a meal with my family or with friends. Uh, and I do miss that. I miss my friends. I miss like the idea of sitting around a table, having a meal together. Um, I think when this is over, I want to institute some sort of regular like Friday night, Saturday night, you know, just dinner with people every, every week. <laughs> That brings yeah. me joy. People bring me joy. I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I like to have a good book, but I also really like to spend time with people. As, as you know, I like to have parties. <laughs> so if you had to go to Mars and you could take any two people apart from family, who would they be? In oh, apart from family. Okay. I was going to say I would take my husband because um, I would like to be with him for, you know, if I'm going to have to go there. I always say, I, and we always talk about this around the dinner table. Everyone else in the family wants to go to Mars and I don't because I'm like, you don't come back. <laughs> so I don't want to go there. And I don't like being in enclosed spaces. So it just doesn't appeal to me. Um, so I, I was thinking, who would I take? I would take the Dalai Lama so that I could have someone to talk to about meditation and calm because if, I, if I'm in a spaceship, I'm going to be stressed out and I need, to, I need to relax. So maybe I would take the Dalai Lama. That's a good one. <laughs> I don't know who else. I, I just don't want to go to Mars. That's the, that's the thing. I'd rather stay here. So before we get off, um, any closing advice or comments um, to the girls, the women who are aspiring leaders of tomorrow? Well, I also, I want to say, you know, we're, we're obviously having a really fun conversation. I'm telling you my silly stories. These are my, my highlights, right, of my life. I want to say that it's not always uh, easy, right? And I've had many times in my life where I've been, I've done things where I've traveled over to Germany to be, you know, do a fellowship and gotten there in the middle of winter and didn't know anybody and was really like depressed and, you know, lonely and like, you're going to do things that you know, you make a choice and you think, oh, what did I do? But if you stick it through for a little bit from, in my experience, you know, you, you, you learn something. My mother always said, you learn something from everything. Everything's part of your education, even the hard stuff. And so um, don't think that if some, you know, you've made a choice and something's not feeling right, that it's necessarily a, a mistake. Maybe there's something there for you to learn, learn from, right? We all have those. And, and I don't want anyone to think by listening to this, that my life has been just one set of, you know, fortunate, choices after the next. I've had my own, you know, ups and downs and, and places where I've been lonely or thought I made the wrong choice. And I've always learned something from those situations, you know, whether I chose to stick it out and it became, you know, an incredible experience or whether I said, oops, I actually did make the wrong choice and I'm not going to undo it and go back and do something different. So I, I just want to say that, um, you know, don't be discouraged and life's a journey. And, um, 
we all go in, 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 in ups and downs, but hopefully we all move in a, in a trajectory that gradually takes us someplace that makes us feel, feel like we've, you know, we're content with our lives. So, um, Anyway, I hope that I'm not, I don't want to mislead with all my, my fun stories because, because it isn't always fun, but you know, there's many opportunities. If you, 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 you keep going, you pick yourself up and you keep going and keep looking for the next, the next one, because it's really all what you make of it. So true. Well said, but thank you so much, Beth. This was such a pleasure talking to you. I hope we had more time to talk some more, but this, this was so good. So thank you so much. Uh, as well. Thank you.